Yeah, my arm. Well, listen, um, we're in the book of Ephesians again. Um, for, for Mother's Day, I, I had everything planned out, and then I went to a conference. And so today we were going to talk about parenthood, um, but I thought, inst- you know, by God's sovereignty instead, what we're going to talk about is, is marriage today in Ephesians. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. That is where we are going to be uh, as we look at home, sweet home, as we look at uh, marriages in, in Ephesians. Uh, this is, so today, uh, marriage. Next week, we'll talk about parenting. And so between these two messages, uh, I, I really pray that God works in your heart and for your family. Uh, so whether you are single and you may get married someday, then, then this sermon is for you. Uh, whether you are currently married or, or whether you know someone who's married. So that should hit everybody here, uh, that this, and then for next week too, uh, whether you're a grandparent, a parent, or whether you know a parent, all of these should be able to, to feed your soul, I pray. Now last week when we talked about uh, imitation faith, one of the things I mentioned was a, a spiritual survey, basically, if you remember me saying that, like a spiritual inventory survey. Some of you may have thought, well, I, I don't really know what that is. I'm not really sure how to do that. I don't even know where to start with that. Well, listen, I have a book to recommend to you. Uh, this book is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It is written by Donald S. Whitney, forward by J.I. Packer. I don't know if you know any of those names. Um, there is a study guide that goes along with this book. Uh, They sell this book on places like Amazon or wherever you find literature. Um, So this book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, this will take you through a spiritual inventory as you read through it, okay? And so this is a good way to start or begin a spiritual inventory. The good news also, men, is that you can just read one chapter at a time, right? You don't have to crush this whole book in one night or anything like that. Uh, Some of you may be ambitious or fast readers and can do that. Others of us If you're like me, you're going to struggle to get through it, and it's going to take time, but that's okay. It's worth your time. Second book I'm going to recommend uh, is this book called Strengthening Your Marriage by Wayne A. Mack. Now, this book is more like a study guide for couples to go through together. What what do I mean by study guide? Uh, What I mean by that is that it has a section for you to read through, and then after that section, with lots of scripture references, so be a Berean, look them up. Just don't take Wayne's you know, word for it. Don't just take my word for it. Be a Berean, look them up. And afterwards, then it has a fill-out section. So husbands and wives, you would want to get two copies if you're going to do this together so that you have the ability to write in your own copy. Husbands or wives, if you're going to do it yourself, that's great. Then you only need one copy and you can write your own stuff down. So when I say this, this is a study guide, yes, it's a book, but it's also primarily, there's a lot of sections in here that you're going to be writing down your own thoughts, your own notes, answering questions to this. And I would say with either of these books, my goal for you would be to not only read them, but to prayerfully read them, to prayerfully go through them. And so I hope that you will all take me up on this. I can't think of anything better than to have a church full of, full of people that care so much about their spiritual maturity that they're willing to take the time to go through and do a spiritual inventory uh, prayerfully and then give that over to God in such a way that he can minister to their hearts. Because as, as much as I love doing what I do, uh, I can't change a single person in this room, myself included. Only God can do that. And same with strengthening your marriage. If you want to be married someday, this is a good book for you to go through. If you're currently married, this is a good book for you to go through. Uh, If you are not married, uh, this is a good book for you to go through. Why? Because you may have married friends that you can talk through with this. And so this gives you a good biblical framework. Because how many of us are in full-time ministry? 
All of us, right? And so enough about book sales. And by the way, not a sponsor. feel like you need to say that nowadays too, okay? But uh, as we look at this, uh, I want to start out with uh, Scripture. So if you uh, look with me at Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man shall be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then the next section there, Genesis 2.21-24, through 24, says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that, God, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so the first point, if you're a note taker and if you have the sheet, is simply this. And I know this is a little out of order. Usually we do an intro and then we jump in. Not today. Uh, the, the, this is the original institution of marriage. It is, it is unarguable that the original institution of marriage is one man, one woman, forever in that relationship with one another. Scripture says over and over again, there's time and time again of where Scripture illustrates to us through the individual heroes of our faith, through Israel and their, uh, their relationship with Yahweh, that this is the original institution that God has created. It is a created, purposeful, ordained institution. And so I don't care what the world says. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care what TikTok, social media, any of those other things. Marriage is between one man, one woman, and it should be forever. This was the original intent for it. Uh, this is a basic institution. All other institutions are built off of this institution. It is because of this that we have a country that you enjoy being in. Uh, it is under satanic attack. Amen. That's a good place for an amen. Uh, Satan desires for this to be attacked, and he has always desired to do so. Look at Genesis still, right? The fall in the garden happen, I'm going to argue just right now, and I can back that up later, take me out to coffee, I'd be happy to, that this satanic attack was originally formed to sever this marriage relationship, and he did so by driving them apart from the beginning. He came to the woman alone, and that was the beginning of the separation. We see that by God's, because of the fall, then we see part of the curse being the difficulty that would now be in marriage. It's important that we start here because of what we're going to get at on today's topics, both for the wife and for the husband, both for the male and for the female. And I want to, to end this beginning section, I guess we could call it an, an intro here, by us understanding this original institution is a good institution. It was called good. It was made for God's glory primarily. And then secondarily, anything that is for God's glory is also for our good. So it was made also for our good. And so it is a good thing for us to find one another, uh, even though Paul says he, he prays that those would stay single so that they could dedicate themselves to the ministry, so that is also good. But this, for you, if you are called to marriage, it is a good thing, even though it is under satanic attack, even though there is difficulty in your marriage. Elisa and I fight sometime. I sin against Elisa. Elisa sins against me. It is the same for your marriage, because guess what? When you get two sinners together in a covenantal union before God, what do you still have? Two sinners, that's right. You have a one flesh union, but you've got two sinners making it up. And so, but here's the good news. We can win this battle. He has given us everything we need to win this battle. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I don't really want to hear about marriage. 
Well, I'm sorry, but it's in the Bible and we're walking through Ephesians and so it's my duty to tell you, number one. And it's my duty to tell you because I love you. But secondly, there's hope. We can win this battle. Paul did not give us his commands contingent upon the response of someone else. And so as what we hear what we hear about wives submitting to your husbands, if there is anything worth submitting to in your judgment and husbands love your wives, if they are worthy of love in your opinion, no, that's not what he said. He said, do these things. These commands are absolute. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I believe you, but I just can't. See, this is what we tell ourselves when we're psychologically defeated and we're feeling sorry for ourselves. And so you may not feel like you can do it. And humanly speaking, you're actually right. Humanly speaking, I can't do that. Humanly speaking, you can't. We can't do that, humanly speaking. But what of that? Do you remember the man with the crippled hand? who was born that way and he came before the Lord. And Jesus said, stretch your hand out. I bet you he felt like he could not do it either. But Christ told him to do so. And so he did it. See, Jesus is in the business of making the unable able. Second thing you might say is, oh, okay, but I won't be happy. Second thing I would respond to is that is, whoever promised you that obeying God was always going to bring happiness? Or at least in how you're measuring happiness? Because the world has one measure of happiness and God has a far different measure of happiness. But the much better answer, although that is a right and good and true answer, a much better answer is this. We can find happiness in Christ. We find ultimate happiness in godliness, not in worldly counsel. It will be by following God that we will find happiness. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man or woman, blessed is the man who walks in the council, not in the council. I'm sorry, let me, let me start over. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and it, it does not, uh, in, in, in all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, and the wind drives them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so I return to Ephesians 5.18. So if you're in Ephesians, Ephesians now, as we've covered Genesis, and we've covered the original intent of this institution, uh, in Ephesians 5.8 it says, Do not be drunk with wine for his debauchery, but here's the second part, but be filled with the Spirit. And I'm here to tell you, brother or sister in Christ, the only way we can fulfill these commands, which are good, God-glorifying commands, joy-bringing commands, is by being filled with the Spirit. That's the only way. And so let us pray for that. Join with me as we pray. God, our Father in heaven, as we look into this text of what it means to have loving husbands and happy wives, as we look at what it means to have love and respect in a marriage covenant, God, we pray that you would help us to be filled with the Spirit. It is only by your Spirit. And in our hearts, we ask these questions, man, I, I can't do this, or this makes me feel unhappy. But Lord, we pray that you would remove 
the darkness of that lie in our hearts and in our minds that Satan has put there because you yourself have called this good. You yourself have created this this way. You yourself desire for our marriages to be strong, joy-filled, vibrant, and we're going to find out in today's text why that is. You, Lord, are more jealous over our marriages than we are. So help us to live in you, be filled with you, to live for you, by you, through you, to you, so that, so that these things might be experienced. It's for your name and in your glory that we pray. Amen. If you're a note taker and you want to write this down, you can write down 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, or Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. This is kind of parallel passages. You're going to hear some of the same things in there, and that's okay, because it's the same author writing. Paul is writing these things. So isn't it good that he writes the same thing so that we can go through them? Now, here's the deal. I'm going to read this text to you, the big section here, and then we're going to take it through piece by piece as we apply it. Okay, so uh, verse 21. Uh, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. We start there because that's important for the next verse because it's all in context, right? So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's all of us in this room with one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now I want to pause here just for a moment. You guys got to catch up, man. Click us through, will you? Um, I'm going to pause here just for a minute. Um, What's the next slide? There you go, that's fine. So I'm going to pause here just for a minute as you write down this if you're a note taker. I'm going to pause here just for a moment. I'm going to ask you this. This is a consumer warning. Do not, if you're married and you're here with your spouse today, no elbows. Women, men, no elbows, no funny looks, okay? This message is to you and you alone, okay? So get all your elbows and your funny looks out now, all right? So here's the first point of what I want for you to see. Loyalty is revealed in surrender. Now, we're going to cover the wife first because she's in the, in the text first, but this is true for both the man and the woman. Loyalty is revealed in surrender. Primarily, surrender to Christ, and then, obviously, because of Christ, through Christ, to his text, of which we're going to see this morning. And so then that brings me to verse 21 through 22, which it says here, um, oh, I'm sorry. In your text, it's not going to be up on the screen. Uh, Ephesians 21 and 22, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, firstly, I want to say this verse can be taken out of context and can be used wickedly. So men, if you're doing that, repent and do it now and do not let it happen again. 
But overall, this is a call to all Christians. Remember, we just said that. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for who? Christ. It's because we love Christ. If you are a note taker, I'm going to stop saying that. You can write down what you want to write down. Luke 22 through 24. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Romans 12, 10. Luke 22 through 24. A dispute arose amongst the disciples. Which one's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus was like, no, bro. That's John's translation. Not as good as the real ones, right? No, bro. That's not how you talk to one another. That's what the wicked Gentiles do. They seek to lord this over, over one another. Not you guys. I have come to serve. And so therefore, like me, you do the same. And so this argument was uh, among people in the church, disciples walking with Jesus, seeing what he was doing. So how much more likely is it to happen with us? I would say much more likely. Or maybe the same amount, because they were sinners just like us too. We tend to forget that about our heroes of the faith, don't we? And so don't let this happen to you. This is a call to Christians. We are to be about the business of submitting primarily to Christ and then also to one another. Philippians 2.1, right? This is encouragement. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so firstly, women, hear me. Men, hear me. This is a call to all Christians, not just wives. However, in this section, as we're talking about marriage, it also says here, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So this is a charge to the wives. Colossians three eighteen. wives, submit to your own husbands as fitting as the Lord. I want you to see here, wives are to submit to their husbands because they want to glorify Christ. Not because your man needs to lay on the couch and eat potato chips, drink beer, and watch the game. You are to submit to him because you love Jesus. Godly wives see it as their duty, as her part of Christian discipleship. Also, it is wives. So get that straight. It's not girlfriends. Okay? It's not sisters, it's not mothers, it's not aunts, it's not all women. This is not a chauvinist thing. This is complementary with one another, okay? So don't just walk around thinking, you women better get in line. Again, as Jesus, no, bro, you better get in line, okay? So this is wives, and then also, who, who is it to? To their own husbands. This is not just to everybody who's got a ring on his finger, it's not just two men who, who are married. This is only to your husband, 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18. That is why Paul says in other places, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. It makes it very difficult for you women. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, I, the more our society goes down this road, the more it is, listen, you can't change him. Please stop thinking that. That is the oldest lie. He's a good guy. He's just got these things with him. And so I, I'll change him. No, you won't. You won't. Because here's the deal. Nobody can change anybody. The only people, the only person, the only being who can change anyone is Jesus. That's it. And so don't be unequally yoked. And now this goes for both sides, right? It is going to be very hard, men, for you to do your part if you're unequally yoked. Women, it is going to be extremely hard for you to do your part if you're unequally yoked. But it says your own husbands. Notice in this text, Paul does not say wives submit to every man. Notice also, as he says this, that this submission is voluntary submission. It nowhere in the text says husbands rule your wives. It just calls the wives to submit out of their own desire. 
And remember, out of their own desire, for who? Christ. We've got to keep these things in the right order. This is a happy relationship. Christian wives freely and responsibly following the loving leadership of a faithful husband, not a tyrant. And then I think I've hit this point enough, but again, it says in this text right here, in these verses 21 through uh, 22, as to the Lord. That's who you're doing this for. What woman in all the world who has met and fallen in love with Jesus would not willingly do anything for him? Never in the Gospels do we find women treating him badly, speaking against him, doing anything to harm him. The women of the New Testament are the ones who loved and honored Jesus the most. Think of the stories. It was the woman who anointed him beforehand. It was the women who came to the tomb first. So think about this relationship. So what woman among us would fall in love with Christ and not desire to submit to him? Jesus was so manly, so honorable, so emotionally attractive, so thoughtful, so kind. It was not the women of the Gospels who opposed him. It was the men. So that brings us to maybe the, the why. Ephesians 5.23, so you can look at that with me. For husband, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So why? Why do we do these things? Well, again, I've hit this already, but God designed us that way. We are designed this way. We are designed to surrender, remember, to Christ firstly, but then also husbands and wives are designed in such a way where this is where you find your most fulfilling blessing. And I know the world is trying to say, nuh-uh, sister, I'm here to tell you, God knows best. He made you. He formed you. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. Even in the Trinity, there is conscious surrender. The Son consciously surrenders to the Father, and we think nothing less of him for this. In fact, it is to his glory to do so. And so, firstly, God has designed us this way, but secondly, God has given us this command. It's not something, listen, I'm not here to tell you this, I was not pumped about thinking to myself, oh, Mother's Day, I know what I'll talk about, wives submitting to husbands, going to go over great. (laughs) Not my first choice. It just worked out that way. But God has given us this command, whether we have trouble with God's word and uh, need to remember that God is infinitely wise and good. Anything he says is for our good, and it is the best possible plan. And by the way, there are many things in God's words that can cause us to react negatively, isn't there? But that doesn't change that God is giving the command. And then lastly, because of all these things, because God cares for us, because God wants the best for you, this is how we're being sanctified. This is a good place for an amen, women. Isn't it sanctifying to deal with a sinful man? Amen. So likewise, wives, be subject to your husband's And here's in 1 Peter 3, right? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm also going to add, because this is a real scenario, you may live this out to the best of your ability for the glory of God, and your unbelieving husband may continue to be an unbeliever to the day he dies. Do you know that will in no way take away from your reward in heaven? 
that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Also in the text, it's not here, but it, but it is here. This is not talking about just submitting to abuse. This is not just being a doormat. And by the rest of this text, all the men in this room ought to know that by the end of today. So don't say to me, well, I can't do this because you don't know the situation. Listen, God is sovereign over all these things. As a pastor, I'm not an idiot. I, would, I will counsel you on an individual basis. If that's what needs to happen, we will get to the bottom of those things. And it might be that me and the elders need to go have a conversation with your husband in the parking lot, okay? <laughs> but just as Christ is the Savior the deliverer and the defender of the church so husbands are to protect their wives. So the how, Ephesians 2.24, right? If you want to go there, Ephesians 2.24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So how are you supposed to submit, wife? Well, how is the church supposed to submit? In everything pertaining to godliness and everything that is right to do, right? Would Jesus ever ask his church to do anything unbiblical? No. No. And so we, with the perfect husband, we can always submit, right? Because loyalty is revealed in surrender. So we can always submit to Christ because he is a good and perfect husband. Now, we aren't good and perfect husbands. I'm sorry to tell you that. I am not a good and perfect husband. Your husband is not a good and perfect husband. But what it means to submit in everything is simply this. As they follow Christ, you follow them. If it is a gray area, then seek to try to understand in such a way as to be able to follow them. And and even if it's something that maybe at the end of the day is not your choice, you can do it in rejoicing because you're knowing you're doing it for who? Christ, not for them. And so here's a difference between a traditional marriage and a biblical marriage. Am I saying from the pulpit that every woman has to be barefoot and pregnant and do dishes? No. Does scripture say that? No. There is a difference between traditional marriage and biblical marriage. What I'm asking for, for you, is biblical marriage. If your marriage ends up being traditional marriage in that sense, good. As long as it's biblical, that's fine. Is it possible to have a traditional marriage that is not biblical? Yeah, you better believe it. And so what we need to do in this situation is look at these things and follow through in the way that we are supposed to follow through what... God has called us to in loyalty being revealed in surrender. A biblical marriage does not always mean a traditional marriage. The couple should simply yield to the pattern of the husband serving as the head and the wife as the helper, submitting to a loving leadership of her husband. And the two should strive to prayerfully apply this pattern in their own faithful situation. Second point then. We, I kind of gave you a sneak peek by accident. Love is revealed in sacrifice. The what? Ephesians five twenty one through 23. Remember, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Verse 25 through 29. By the way, let me just back up just for a minute. Is himself its savior? We can't save you, women. Don't expect your man to uh, save you, ladies. Uh, Here's what it means by that. It is our duty to do the things a Savior would do. 
I can't remember. It's probably a bad song all all together. But you know, uh, how, how does it go? I'd I'd catch a grenade for you. I'd Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars. Yeah, I don't know anything about the guy. So, but that song in particular, we're supposed to be able to catch a grenade for you, take a bullet for you, whatever you know, lay down my life for you. Um, Love is revealed in sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. Men, okay? Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for them. What is Christ's love? That's our call, to love our wives as Christ loves. This word is agape. If you've you've been in church for any length of time, pastors love to camp out on this word. I'm no different. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about it in case this is your first Sunday you've never heard this word before. Agape is a Greek word. There's different kinds of love in Greek. In English, we just have one. It's just love. So you can love pizza. You can love puppies. You can love your spouse. You can love all kinds of things, right? In Greek, they have this great way of designated different kinds of love. So you can love pizza, and that's one word. You can love uh, a, a, a romantic, so I can talk about my, I love my wife in a romantic way. That's a different word for love. And then there's this word, Agape, which means self-sacrificing love. This word for love means I always, in every situation, no matter what, place the other person first before myself, and that is the definition of this kind of love. Okay? So, I'm going to read a quote. I've got a bunch of quotes for men. I probably should have had more for women because I'm not a woman, and it would have been better for, for that, but this is how I roll today. Let me try to tell you what it really should mean if a fellow says to a girl, I love you. It means you, 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 you alone. You shall reign in my heart. You are the one who I have longed for. Without you, I am incomplete. I will give everything for you. I will give up everything for you, myself, as well as all I possess. I will love you alone. I will work for you alone, and I will wait for you. I will never force you, not even by words. I want to guard you to protect you, to keep you from all evil. I want to share you with all my thoughts, with all my heart, with all my body, with all that I possess. I want to listen to what you have to say. There is nothing I want to undertake without your blessing. I want to remain always at your side. Love like this blesses and makes homes stable. It is learned only at the feet of Jesus Christ. Husbands, do you love like that? Do men even understand that this is what true love is? Not many. But this is our standard. The full measure of Christ's love for the church was his dying for her. We are told in one of the Greek histories that a wife of one of the generals of Cyrus, the ruler of Persia, was accused of treachery and was condemned to death. At first, her husband did not know what was taking place, but as soon as he heard about it, he rushed into the palace, burst into the throne room, threw himself on the floor before the king and cried out, O my Lord Cyrus, take my life instead of hers. Let me die in her place. 
Cyrus, who by all historical accounts was a noble and extremely sensitive man, was touched by this offer, and he said, love like that must not be spoiled by death. So he gave the husband and the wife back to each other and let them go free. As they walked happily, the husband said to the wife, did you notice how kindly the king looked at us while he gave us the pardon? And the wife replied, I had no eyes for the king, for I saw only the man who was willing to die in my place. You see, sacrificial love is what we're called to. Sacrificial love is Christ-like love. Christ was scourged. His hands and feet were nailed to a cross. A spear was thrust into his side. Thorns were placed on his head, all because he loved the church. Christ's sacrificial love was foot-washing love. His headship was our model. He came to serve, although he was God. He humbled himself. We see Christ's authority coupled with his unparalleled humility. Men, this is not a joke. Marriage is a call to die. Dying to self. It involves many sacrifices. It involves sacrificing your schedule, even your ambition. It means giving yourself away for the good of your bride. It involves crucifying your flesh and resolving to be faithful and not yielding to the temptations of lust or pride or anger. Marriage is a call to serve. Christ-like love takes initiative. It doesn't have to be asked or nagged or prompted. So I'm going to charge you with avoid being a passive husband and to actively agape love your wife. But also it says in the text in 26 through 27, not only is it a, a sacrificial love, it is a sanctifying love. This word hagios in the text there is translated sanctify, which means to make holy. It means to set them apart. Here is the question. Is your wife more like Christ because of you or in spite of you? You know, God holds you, husbands, responsible for the spiritual growth and maturing of your wives as well as your children. Do you know that you will have to give an answer and an account on the day of judgment of how you led and fed and grew your wife? That's a heavy charge, man. Satisfying love, 28 uh, through 29. Do you know the love for your wife is supposed to satisfy her, to fulfill her, to, to fill her up emotionally? mentally, physically. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, satisfying love, this directive makes perfect sense in light of the fact that the two have become one flesh. Just as you long to satisfy your own needs, husbands, you ought to satisfy your wife's needs. Just as you long for intimacy, so does she. Just as you long for joy, so does she. Just as you long for health and peace, companionship, community, provide them for your bride. So I guess the question here is, husbands, how are you doing at nourishing your wives? Are you physically nourishing her? Are you cherishing her? Are you admiring her and complimenting her? Which gets to the why. Firstly, God has given us this command. We are told this is how we are to act to our wives. 
We are commanded by God to do this. And again, husbands, you're saying the same thing as wives. There's no difference here. Well, I won't be happy. Oh, I believe you, but I can't do that. Listen, who guaranteed you happiness, number one? And also, if you're measuring happiness by the way the world is, then, then of course, dying to self doesn't sound happy, but it is. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 1 Peter 3.7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Secondly, God has designed you this way. God has designed you to do this. When he asked, if I asked you today, what does it mean to say I love you? You're probably going to say something self-centered. Most people do. Hopefully not after today's sermon, but, but before, before I started, if I said, what, is, what does it mean when you say I love you? You might say, oh, you know, feeling loved or feeling good or enjoying time with somebody or, or uh, somebody else's personality, just really clicking with that or whatever. But Ephesians the idea of what love is, is sacrifice. How many people don't, please don't raise your hand. I'm going to repeat that. Please don't raise your hand. But how many people in this room and how many people do you know who would make the statement, I feel starved for love. But scripture says, that there is no starvation for love in the Christian home. There's no room for that. Husbands and wives should love each other and care for and fulfill their physical, emotional, spiritual needs. They should be met. Both are submitting to the Lord and both are sacrificing for one another. This is how we are sanctified. So the how in this text is, is the same way as Christ loves the church. Which brings me to our close, which is this. Why? Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He said this mystery is profound, which means beyond our even understanding because this marriage is a glorious illustration. It's an illustration of the gospel. There is a world out there that is unsaved and unknowing and is going to hell. And a big part of that is because they see no difference in the church than they do with their friends at the bar and around the water cooler. Because marriages are falling apart, because people aren't taking it seriously anymore. The divorce rate in churches is almost equal to that outside. And it's not because you haven't found your soul mate. It's because of the hardness of our hearts. We're choosing self over spouse. We're choosing self over surrender. We're choosing self over sacrifice. And so therefore marriages fall apart, or they never even begin. We are to consider marital relationships on a lofty plane. The relationship between Christ and his church is unique. Okay, I, this is another quote, and I love this, and so please bear with me. It's, it's a longish quote, but man, it's good. So if you think about the Bible, if you think about Christ and his church, so if all of the Bible is pointing us to Jesus, right? Genesis, the Revelation, all of it pointing us to Jesus. If Jesus is referred to as the husband and the church is referred to as his bride, right? Then it, it kind of makes sense that any marital relationship in scripture has elements that we can learn from that is not Jesus and his bride and elements that do represent Jesus and his bride. 
Here are some of them. The story of Adam and Eve illustrates the past and shows how the church was formed. Adam was put to sleep in the will of God. Then God opened his side and took from him what was needed for his bride. This scene is reminiscent of Calvary, where the Lord Jesus entered into a sleep of death in the will of God. Jesus' side was opened and out gushed water and blood, the elements that made possible the creation of the church, his bride. The story of Isaac and Rebekah illustrates the present. Their love story typifies the work of the Father and the Spirit in finding the bride for the Son. Genesis 22, Isaac went to Mount Moriah as a willing sacrifice, obedient unto death. But in Genesis 24, he was a passive observer waiting with his father for the coming of his bride. All the action was in the hands of the unnamed servant whom Abraham sent to seek, invite, persuade, and bring the responsive bride to his son. In this present age, the son's work is finished and he sits at the father's throne. The Holy Spirit is the active one. He is here to seek out a bride, the church, for the father's beloved son who is waiting at the right hand in glory. The story of Joseph and Asenna illustrates the prospects of the church. This is in Genesis 41-45 if you're not familiar with Asenath. Asenath was taken from obscurity elevated to share the lofty, the lofty position by Joseph at the right hand of Pharaoh. In the same way our past is blotted out, our destiny is to sit with Christ on his throne, share his glory for all eternity. The point here is that since the brides of the Bible are obviously intended to typify the unique relationship between Christ and his church, the marriage of every believer should do the same. Every married Christian couple should be an illustration to the world of the relationship that exists between Christ and his church. Which leads me to Paul's and my closing charge. Husbands, love your wives as yourself. And wives, respect your husbands. Where do you turn when your marriage is difficult? You turn to alcohol, deer hunting, work, pornography, shopping. Those are wrong places. Look to Christ. Marriage is intended to point us to our Redeemer. If Christian husbands and wives have the power of the Spirit to enable them and the example of Christ to encourage them, then why do so many Christian marriages fail? And the answer is because one or both of them are outside of the will of God. The root of most marital problems is sin, and the root of all sin is selfishness. Submission to Christ and to one another is the only way to overcome selfishness. For when we submit, the Holy Spirit can fill us and enable us to love one another in a sacrificial, sanctifying, satisfying way. And that is the way that Christ loves the church. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, today is a hard word to